When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, it's Sai from uh, Ace Podcast Nation, the one-stop shop for podcasts, interviews, guests on all sorts of subjects. Uh, we got podcasts on mental health, football, films, music, and a lot more. So uh, check us out. Uh, my first of three special guests this week, uh, none other than uh, actor, filmmaker, Welsh icon, coolest man to come out of Wales, some would say, uh, Johnny Owen. Welcome, Johnny. Thanks well, for coming. Very nice to be here, and that's a very nice intro. I'll take that. <laughs> Thank yeah. you very much. Oh. It's uh, not even an exaggeration, I don't feel. <laughs> so Very kind. Very kind. I think uh, before we get going properly, it will, I'd be amiss if I didn't mention uh, the social media buzz around your other half's performance in uh, BBC drama Line of Duty. What's that been like? I'm guessing you've had uh, a lot of messages from people. Yeah, it's been fantastic, mate. Um, obviously, it's a huge show now. Uh, it gets uh, massive viewing figures, uh, so it's uh, it's become sort of a, a, a monster, really. Um, she loves doing it. Uh, people love it, and uh, I think I've seen the, I read a good article in the Guardian recently that said that it seemed to change cop shows as well, and I think that's true. It's uh, apparently the police themselves really like it because it's a, it's a kind of a true reflection of what it's like, really, when you investigate sort of crime. You know, he shows all the digging, shows the long, laborious questioning you have to do, and. Uh, yeah, I think it's that authenticity has made people fall in love with it. So a uh, long way it rain. Yeah, and I think the thing is with any TV show is people prefer that authenticity over the ex- exaggeration or like the, the Hollywood in it up a bit. I think people, especially with British sort of TV dramas, people prefer like that gritty real life drama rather than that sort of exaggerated and stuff. I'm only on, I'm on season one. I am. I only just discovered it. So I'm only like three episodes into season one. So I'm looking, uh, I'm already in like, hooked. So it's going to be good. Oh, good man. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely bang on. Really. Yeah. It's it just, it's, uh, it's very truthful and honest, you know, and, and it's very British. And I think people have really sort of latched on and enjoyed that. It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, you know, as I said, the police, they have police advisors on set as well to make sure that it's done as uh as realistically as possible, and I, and like I said, I think that reflects it in the uh, in in the story and, the, and in the show. Definitely. What um, what sort of stuff are you watching on uh, TV these days? I'm I'm a big fan of Netflix. Uh, I've, I'm currently um, in in the middle for the second time of the Vietnam War, the uh, Great Ken Burns uh, documentary series. I'm watching that. Um, and like I said, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of sort of uh, a lot of the, the sort of stuff you get on Sky Atlantic now and things like that, like True Detective. Um, yeah, yeah, I do love a series. I'm looking forward to Game of Thrones coming back. <laughs> I like Game of Thrones. So I kind of, um, it's amazing really how um, my, my viewing has changed along with technology because I pretty much watch the, uh, the iPlayer on Netflix now most of the time. That's where I, you kind of find me sort of watching series. Yeah, I, you know, I, the only thing I watch live, I think, is like football or like uh, like UFC or boxing or something. Everything yeah, else is streaming. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. I mean, um, I, I really like BBC Four, 
because I'm 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 a, I'm a middle-aged Welshman, so I love all the sort of the the, the, the pop documentaries and and things like that they do on BBC Four, and, I, and I'm I'm a huge fan of history as well, so I watch that quite a lot on catch up. Um, so, but like you said, live stuff, it's it's basically sport and mostly football. That's what I watch. Um, my missus yeah, says. I'm a man. I'm a I'm a creature of habit, but uh, you can usually watch me find me watching football most of the week. <laughs> yeah, the thing is with um, like TV shows, these with streaming, you can watch it just when you want. You don't have to like you know when go when we we grow up. If you wanted to watch something, you had to make time, be there and watch it at the time it was on, or hope that you could record it on video and no one else was watching the TV. So yeah. I mean. It's I time to change. Well. It, it suits, yeah. suits, suits me. Like I got three kids, so I need to be able to watch when I want, rather than normal times. Because kids overrun the TV, so I don't get to watch her when yeah, I want to watch it. Well, when I was a kid, you only had um, sort of kids programs on. Sort of when you came home from school around about four o'clock to about five o'clock. Sort of it was an hour they had. Whereas now you've got whole channels dedicated to it. So kids. When they're in, they just tend to have the cartoons on, don't they, or the kids' channels, and that's the way they Yeah, that's it. Well, <laughs> it was like you'd have kids' TV till about, like, till Blue Peter come on, and then yeah, that was it. it. Yeah, that was it, that yeah. The night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it was nationwide in the news, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's crazy how that's changed. Yeah, it has. But someone there recommended Gamora to me. A few people, yeah. actually, have said. Watch I've that. Watched that. It's fantastic. I've watched them all. Them. They're brilliant. There's a new series out soon as well, which is uh, so I'm looking forward to that. Excited. Yeah, check that out. Loads of people have said because I'll ask like, oh, "What are you watching?" And they all say, "Watch Gamora. It's excellent." So I'm gonna have to check it out. Definitely, you. I think you'd really enjoy it. And then um, Narcs is Narcs on Netflix about uh, Pablo Escobar and stuff. That's supposed to be really good as well. Yeah, I've watched that as well. Both both of them highly recommended. Yeah, I'm gonna have to. I have to get going. I just got like a backlog of uh, of like TV shows which I want to watch, and he's just trying to find the time to, to yeah, watch them. Yeah, I, do, I tend to watch them when I get, I get in the bed at the night, and I have like an hour, hour and a half watching. That's when I do, do my sort of most my sort of Netflix catching up and all that kind of stuff, and then fall asleep. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I end up falling asleep while I'm watching it is the problem, and then I have yeah. to go back and find <laughs> yeah. where I was. Yeah, you can never remember, can you? <laughs> But um, so when I spoke to you briefly the other day, you said you were finishing off filming last week. Anything you're allowed to talk about? Or yeah, I, I, I can't really say too much, but I've got another uh, football film that's coming out in uh, hopefully the autumn. Uh, we'll go to cinemas and uh, a few places, and uh, it's like kind of my last of my uh, trilogy of football films. Uh, obviously, I did Don't Take Me Home, and I did I Believe in Miracles for the last few years. Uh, this is the third and final one, but I'm. I'm kind of working with the people who did um, Senna and Amy and, and the Maradona films. Oh, really good people. So, yeah, and that comes out sort of. I think I, I think they'll be able to announce in the summer what it's about and all the rest of it. But I, hopefully, people will enjoy it. And like I said, I'm a bit of a lucky boy, really, in that I get to make uh, make films about football, which is my 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 probably my my true love, really. You know. Yeah, God, I well, I was going to say like you've made a couple of incredible football documentaries. The um, the I Believe in Miracles one about Brian Clough. Like, I've got no links to, to Brian Clough other than I used to find him entertaining when I was a kid, like his interviews and stuff. I've got no links to sort of not Nottingham Forest or whatnot. But it was just, it was awesome to watch. Like, you couldn't take your eyes off it. Just every single moment of it felt like it mattered. Do you know what I mean? There was, it didn't feel like there was... Um, like any filler in it, it was just you had to watch every second and every minute. Yeah, How long did I, make that? it took about eighteen months that to make eighteen months, two years, I think altogether to get everybody together and do all the interviews and then get all the uh, the footage. Um, but like you said, it, it was a remarkable story, not just in football, in sport, really. In those five years, what he did and what he achieved there with that team, and and um, I think, like I said, there was no room for any fact, really. You just had to sort of tell. What happened? Because so many incredible things happened. You know, the fact that he took them up and then he won the title and he won the European Cup and then they won the European Cup again. It was, uh, you know, and it's never happened before and it's never happened since. Um, so it is one of the sort of great stories I've seen in in world sports. And uh, I really enjoyed doing it because obviously I got to know the team as well and 
and um, and I, I found them to be really like sort of interesting characters and uh, what they achieved and you know the way they did it and the way that he put it together. Um, and like saying, we got we found a great soundtrack for it, loads of soul and funk and all this amazing sort of stuff we found on film, seventies films. The colours were sort of very sort of vibrant, you know, and and, and it just seemed to work. Really, like you said, when we put it all together. You kind of got a feeling, oh, this is this is this is working really, you know. And uh, I was really pleased the way it turned out, and obviously delighted with the with the response it had. Yeah, and I bet you heard some incredible stories, though. You know, talking to all those players and all the people around there, I bet there was uh, there was plenty of stories which didn't make make the cut as well. But I mean, there's there's so many interesting characters in that team as well as as Brian Clough. It was like yeah. you know you got like uh, Robert Robertson and um, like Martin O'Neill was Martin O'Neill in that team I think he was wasn't he Yeah or he was, was he yeah. after No he was in that team oh, he, yeah, was... he played on, on the right side and Robert was obviously I mean John Robertson was was you know was the great player of that team and you know and they all said the same thing but what was remarkable about that was he was kind of this journeyman footballer going nowhere a little bit overweight playing in the second division team was on the on the transfer list when Clough got there. They were seriously considering selling him to Partick Thistle, and he was on his way. And Clef comes in and sees obviously something in him, and thinks, "No, no, we'll hang on to him," and turns him into, you know, arguably the best player in Europe for about four or five years. And uh, you know, those stories, you know, are, are amazing. And 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 I think the way he put the team together as well, he was, it did have a kind of a dirty dozen feel to it. You know, finding these sort of misfits and players who were considered to be too, you know. Too aggressive, and players who were considered to be too mouthy, and players who were considered past, you know, past their sell-by date, and players who were in the reserve team, and putting them all together and becoming the best team in Europe. It's, uh, it was a, it was a great story, and one that everybody has a smile on their face when they watch because it just goes to show if you know if, if Clough can do it there, you know, they, it can be done anywhere. So I think a lot of football teams and fans, especially, they like the story because it gives them a kind of a, a hope that one day it can happen to their team too. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, there's nothing's ever come close. I mean, I suppose the closest you'd get was like uh, Leicester winning the Premier League. But yeah. I mean, nothing, no one's ever come close to to, to going up and, and just to win everything or win the big trophies. And like yeah. you say, it's largely a team of sort of misfits almost. Yeah. And bringing them all together is quite incredible. Great story. And, and you know, I, I went through the... Um... The two tournaments that they entered that what was called the European Cup then, and you actually had to win the league then. It it really was the Champions League then. It was a European Cup now, where you know the team that's finished third or fourth can get in and potentially win it. Then you had to win the title to be in the uh, European Cup, and all the teams they're all there. Real Madrid are in it, Juventus, you know, all the teams that we know now and Ajax, and they beat they beat everybody. You know, they they you know they beat everybody that went in front of them, and you just think to yourself. You know, the first the first time they get into Europe, their first game in Europe is against Liverpool, who were the double European reigning champions at the time. You know, and they beat them. So you know, they did everything they had to do really to be, to, to be seen as a great football team. And you know, and they are a great football team. And one of the great things about the film is is that a lot of the players say to me that it's kind of they're always in those lists now of the top ten greatest teams of all time. You know, and 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 a lot of them say to me it's because the film has helped sort of put them back in people's minds again, really. And I'm really pleased about that because they deserve to be back in people's uh, minds and in those lists as well, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. And like you say, there was no, um, there was no like gimmies in the, <clears throat> in them days, like some of the, you know, in the group stages now you, you get some teams, which, you know, they lose all their games three or four nil. They yeah. finish bottom of the group. And it was all like you say, just, just the champions. Cup competition in them days, a proper cup competition where two legs, you had to play the champions, and that was it. You had to get on with it. Amazing. Absolutely. And it just makes the achievement even better. Do you know what I mean? It just adds to the story and the achievement at the end of it. So obviously, the other football film you you made was uh, Don't Take Me Home, which I've got to be honest. Every time I watch it, it brings me to bloody tears. But, and I watched, I've watched it a lot. But I mean, I got, I do not know how you managed to make that through, like, the stuff which you obviously which you filmed out there and stuff. Just from the wave of excitement, the sheer disbelief. I don't know how you managed to do that without. I'd have been just constantly 
drunk and overexcited <laughs> trying to film these, you know, interviews or segments, and because he would just. <laughs> Uh, I spent the think, whole uh, summer walking around. Fun. <laughs> yeah, well, I think I think that um, I was really lucky with it actually because what happened was I went out as a fan, and uh, and I loved it. And obviously, as as the tournament progressed, you could see that something was happening, a story was developing because a lot of us went out there and we were just really happy to be in a in a major tournament. And what would be would be we're just going to enjoy it because we were, it was the first time we got there since 1958, you know, to a major tournament finals. So. But as obviously we, we started winning games and progressing to the tournament, the Welsh FA then started saying to me, look, you know, we'd be thinking about making a film. So, you know, I just sort of said to the the, the people who were out there, were just filming what we could. Uh, we managed to get the players when we were back. Uh, and obviously the, the big thing was I, got, I managed to get a lot of fan phone footage, which was sent to me, which I just, I literally appealed on my social media and said, you know, to my mates and things, send me any stuff you took on your, on your phones. And I think that really helped it because... We live in a world now where people do, you know, film and, and take photos almost every day. So people are used to it. And I think that helped capture the, the fans' sort of uh, feelings as well, you know, the energy of how they felt during games, you know, how they took sort of those great images of just after the game finished and the team are coming over and clapping them and goals and things like that. And I think that really helped the film because it felt as much of a fans' film as it, as it did the team because that was really important to me. It was that tournament where the fans... And the team and the management, everybody came together. The country basically came together and just had the best summer of our lives. And uh, it was just, a, it was just an honour and a pleasure to be there, really, in amongst it all. And and, and I and I, I, it was, I will still say, probably to the day I die, it was the best summer that I can ever remember. Really, the attitude, the feeling, the way everybody was. There was never anything like it, you know. And I made the film. We had to make the film very quickly when I got back. And if we could have captured just a little bit of that in it, then then I was a happy man, really. Yeah, I mean, that summer was just... Like, I didn't manage to go out there because I got a few health problems. And even in Cardiff, you'd just be walking around and you, you could see people just talking about it in the shops. And it was yeah. just every day, it was just like this this disbelief of... it's Like I say, it started off, uh, we're there, let's just enjoy this. This is just going to be incredible just to be there and to, you know, just to experience a tournament. Because none of us thought it was ever going to happen in our generation or, you know, in our lifetime. And I think after Giggs and Bellamy and all them sort of retired, it almost felt like that was the golden generation until then you had, like, the Bales and the Ramses come through. But mm. it was just... And as you say, as the tournament went on, the disbelief started to turn to excitement and by the Belgium game it was just a fever pitch then because you're thinking no and you know we'll just totally don't get stuffed give them a good game and you know what'll be will be and it's, it's a one-off game type thing and even when Belgium scored I remember it, it was just like oh oh well you know it's been a good run yeah and then suddenly they equalize and you're like oh Jesus Christ we're still yeah. going. I know. But, it was uh, amazing. It was amazing. That, that night was the best night ever. When I, I mean, it was just <laughs> it was a great night. Whenever you just beaten the, the tournament favourites, you know, the, the billion dollar be Belgian team, as they call them, you know, some of the best players in the world packed that team. And De Bruyne and sort of, you know, Hazard. They were all in there, Lukaku. <laughs> it was just ridiculous. You know, we beat them. And all I, I all the subs come on. Yeah. And I know, yeah. And do you remember? I remember Aaron saying, Rambo saying, when I he says, I'm looking around thinking, we're having a good game here against the best team in the tournament. And he's right, you know. Yeah. It was, it was, you could see almost the belief sort of um, flooding through the team. And uh, you know, we were the better side. We deserved to win that game, you know. And it took it took us a, a piece of world class athleticism from Ronaldo really to sort of uh, to, to beat us in the semi final as well. Um, you know, and I, I, you know, I think we, we badly missed Aaron and Ben Davis in that semi as well. And uh, you know, we who knows we could have we could have uh, you know we could have sneaked that as well. But you know, listen, we did fantastic. I, I, I say to this day, I yeah. say to this day that Ramsey in the semi final, and I felt like it, we could have nicked it. I felt like yeah. he was such a big mess. He'd been yeah. so good. In the well, he, was the form, he was in the form. He was the form. He was in the form. Of his life, he was the form player of the tournament, arguably, and a lot of sort of foreign journalists said that to me. And if the, the other thing as well was, you see, because England had a such a disastrous tournament, 
they dismissed the tournament. You know, it's a poor tournament and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But when you were out in France, you had a completely different view. You had all the other journalists from all the other countries talking to you and saying to you, oh, Alan Ramsey is the... So, you know, we I, we were in the middle of something where, you know, we our best player, you know, Bale was scoring lots of goals and, you know, is, is the best player probably in the team. But our best player form-wise in that tournament was missing for us, you know, and that was a big, big loss. And... Uh, I'm with you. I think it could have been a different game if Aaron played, and you know who knows what would have happened then. Yeah, but yeah, then you, it's it's one of those things. And at the start of the season, oh sorry, the start of the tournament, if someone had said to you semi-final, and, you'd have been like, yeah, yeah, well I'll take that. But then when you get there and it's such a close game, and you've got yeah. an injury, and you just think, oh, what could have been? It's uh, uh, it's a weird one. Obviously, you know when you come down and you think about it. Afterwards, it's just like semi-final, Jesus. But I mean, you know, I remember the, the night of the semi-final after the game, I was gutted. Like, I you're proud and, you know, you're so proud of the players and the fans. And obviously the fans were so well behaved and they were so popular with all the, you know, all, every video which you saw of the Welsh fans on the news. It was mm. all positive. And I think a lot of other nations, maybe apart from England, fell in love with it. You know the Welsh, the way they, the Welsh team and the fans, because of yeah. the relationship that the fans and the players had. You had all those, like the videos of the of the guy crying, yeah, uh, just after the national anthem in one of the, I think it was the Northern Ireland game, wasn't it? And um, yeah. and all the pint glasses going up in the air at the fan parks and stuff. Yeah, you know, and like you say, they they're all those clips they added to the to the film because then it wasn't just like a film about the Wales team, the players and you filming and documenting that. It was mm. the whole experience and that together stronger, I suppose, and as yeah. you know, other other English I say English fans again they mock it perhaps sometimes. But that summer just incorporated that to a T. You couldn't have uh, there couldn't have been a tighter relationship between the fans and the players, I don't think. No, I think they've, um, I think England, if anything, learned from it a bit, really, you know, in um, what they tried to do in this World Cup and they did it really well, you know, and, you know, they've got a manager that they associate with and the fans were different. And I think, you know, people looked at Wales and what they did in 2016 at the Euros and thought, well, you know what, we'd rather be like that, you know, with the, the press get behind the team and the fans with the team and, and you know you got a chance then you know so i think you know if anything england and other countries have looked at that and gone that's a, that's a really just a credit they've been a credit to the tournament you know on and off the pitch and and that's what you want to aspire to yeah do you know it's funny you say about the the, the media there because um i did a football podcast last week with um hayley and uh basically we came across and we said we were talking about the Montenegro game with uh, Raheem Sterling and um, like all the racist abuse and that and all that horrible stuff. But yeah. how well he had he had matured and over the years and how he dealt with it was it was unbelievable. Mm. But what we sort of went on to then was that the media in 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 England they just they seem to want to beat down the, the players and there's always negative. They're you know spoiled rich boys and all this type of thing they seem to it's very rare that you see positive press about any of them whereas in wales the media is completely different in that the relationship with the players is all positive and i just think like you say they learned from it in the way that they didn't go for like your sven or your capello uh as a manager, they went for the under twenty ones manager, which was exactly the type of thing which I think Wales had done with speed, and they brought in sort of play, former players rather than the big names. But do you think that the so you know with the sorry I got a bit sidetracked. <laughs> um, right. So you know, like with the, the recently, and especially in the Championship and in Scotland, there's been some fans, haven't there, like uh, attacking the players coming on the pitch. Do you think that, obviously, there's fan rivalry and there's there's always going to be that between clubs, especially derbies and things like this. But do you think 
the way the media, the tabloid media, portray young footballers, do you think it turns that rivalry into this almost like a blind hatred? Because all you see is they're, they're rich, they behave badly, they don't care about the fans, and it's this and this and this and this. And I just wonder whether that has an impact on how rivalries turn from rivalries, which, you know, there's, can be quite fierce, to then being more than that. I mean, Do you think I, the media influences that? Well, I think, I think the media has a role to play in it, certainly. I, I think there's always been, you know, strong rivalry in football. And, you know, there's been times in the past, you know, certainly in the 70s and 80s when fans would, would often run on the pitch. There's nothing new, really, you know. I, I don't think, you know, I think what football does is it, it heightens tensions and, and uh, you know, and that's always been part of it. I do think the one thing that has changed is, is that social media has become um, hugely uh, important in football. Um, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know. It's a good thing in a lot of respects. You know, you can you can sort of articulate your, your view, you can sell tickets, you can, you know, there's, there's all sorts of good things. There's also a negative side to it, you know, there's there's trolling and bullying and, and all kinds of things that happen on, on social media as well. And and I think that's, that, you know, that doesn't help certain things. Um, I think footballers have a, have, a, have a bad rap sometimes, if I'm honest. You know, I've I've worked, you know, and I've I've met lots of footballers. They they're young. Um, lots of them, you know, pay they pay as they earn, so they pay whatever they, the sort of tax they have on their on their on their wages. So they may have hugely sort of uh, massive wages now, and that's because of the TV markets. But they pay tax on it, so that's you know something that's very rarely mentioned. And also, you know, they can't win. I, I, I seen something the other week where a footballer was involved uh, at Nottingham Forest, for argument's sake, with uh, promoting a food bank, uh, saying that, you know, we were going to have a food bank because there's a problem with homelessness in the city. And and somebody wrote, oh, I just find this really disgusting, a footballer on thousands of pounds a week, advertising that people should donate food for a food bank. Now, if he didn't say anything... They'd be slated because they're footballers. They don't care if they do say something. Then they're slated anyway because you know they're rich and they. So they're in the front of a no-win situation. A lot of footballers. They do loads of work in the community as well, which is really interesting to me. I mean, you know, I do a bit of work now with Nottingham Forest, and every Christmas they go to the you know to the to the children's cancer ward, and these are young men. Some of them in their late teens, early twenties, and they go around and they speak to young, terminally ill children and take them presents. It's a remarkable thing they do. Now, when I was that age, I never had to do anything like that at all, you know. But, you know, they do get a bad rap then a lot of the time, but they also do good things as well. So I think, you know, while there's always going to be the media that wants to, you know, report on gossip and, and, and rumour, and that's always the way of life, they should also sort of be making people aware they do lots of good things as well. And I think it's really interesting what you said earlier on about Raheem Sterling. That's what's happened now. He's getting a fair press now, finally. Whereas before he got a very one-sided press, you know, that he was seen as a kind of a bit of a bad boy and, and all this kind of thing. Whereas now people are saying, well, actually, he does a lot. You know, he does this for charity and he helps these people. And I think as long as it's balanced and fair, then I, I think that's, that's, that's the way forward. But the problem starts, you know, is that when they, they t- sometimes uh, certain, certain sections of the media, not all, there's very good journalists, but sometimes they pick on somebody and, and, and that's when the problems can start for me sometimes and where you end up in situations where people invading the pitch and trying to attack players and, and that's not a good thing yeah and i think um like jack Grealish is probably one of those players actually who is targeted constantly um you know he's i think he's only early 20s at the most and mm. i just think what i was like at like 19 20 and if i had loads of money yeah i'd be going on a holiday and getting drunk with my mates and doing this, that and the other. And I think they're entitled to go and do that as young men, as long as it's within the law and, you know, they're not doing anything which they shouldn't from that point of view. It's like, let them have their off-season, let them go on holiday and, you know, and what you, what, what tends to happen now is because the media pick up on that so much, is they don't mingle with the fans as much as like the lower league players you know at the end of the season they'll have drinks and a player a year award and they'll they'll mingle with the fans 
Um, yeah. And I think that's almost a lost thing these days because the Premier League players, they don't want to risk that bad publicity or someone fit, making a film of them when they're drunk or, you know, because there's camera phones everywhere. They Well, they, we only seen what we only seen what happened this week with uh, Jordan Pickford, you know, where oh, he, he was out. He was goaded. You know, there were people shouting yeah. things to him and butterfingers. And then, of course, he gets into a fracas. And now he's ended up in a situation where he'll probably be told, well, what were you doing in that situation anyway? Where he was down like a local pub having a drink. Yeah. He can't do that anymore. So when fans then go, oh, they, you know, they're so isolated from us and all the rest of it. But what do they expect if they can't go That's out? Right. They've been shouted at, you know. You can't have you know what? Work, you know? No, that's it. And what I found interesting about the Jordan Pickford thing is that in the, I think it was the Sun or whoever had all the videos up of him in the fracas. But then when the videos came out a bit later of him being goaded and abused, they were like just a little small video on the social media. They weren't on with the story. And I think actually what came out, I think I read earlier, what set him off was that some the boys who were goading him had targeted his, his fiance. That's which right. Which is yeah. why I kicked off. And, yeah. and, it, and all of that puts a whole different spin on drunk on footballer having a brawl or England yeah. goalkeeper having a brawl after being on an all day watching Sunderland play at Wembley yeah. and the way it was portrayed was like he'd been out all day on a piss and he'd then Sunderland had lost he was like drowning his sorrows and then he'd got into a fight yeah. and in actual fact it was probably he was out with his friends watching the football having a few drinks yeah he'd probably had drunk too much and he probably had people goading him and saying stuff to him for the majority of the day on and off. And then eventually when they targeted his partner, yeah. he reacted like 99.9% of people yeah. would. Yeah, you would. And that's the problem, you know. And then, like you're saying, they're in a no-win situation really because, you know, they're saying they're told they're aloof and they don't go out and don't see him anymore. Well, they can't, you know, they can't go to those places because... You know, ultimately, people will have an opinion. I remember last year, two of the young Forest players uh, put a thing on Instagram um, where they were in um, Nando's, I think, you know, or the TFI Fridays they were in. And uh, they just got a load of fans going, you know, what are you doing in there? You know, it's not good for you. And you should be, you know, eating chicken salad. And I'm thinking, God, you know, they can't do anything. You know, it's like (laughs) you've expected to be lived like a monk. Do you know what I mean? So... It's crazy. It's impossible. It's impossible. They're in an impossible situation. But listen, they know it. They're well paid, which is you know they are well paid, oh. and they they just got to think to yourself, all right, boys. What I would say to them is, you've got ten years, fifteen years of this if you're lucky, which would be brilliant. So you know, roll with it, go with it, and then once you're retired, you can do whatever you want. Then you know what I mean that's what I'd say to them. Yeah, ten years of a top professional, you know, Premier League footballer, yeah. set, yeah. set for life, yeah. and then you can go and. Go and go enjoy and, it. Go and live. Go and live there, wherever life you want, and you'll be fine. You know, but while while you're there, it's just not worth it because unfortunately, there's nothing you can do, which is uh, which is. There's right. always people who want to tear successful people down. And yeah. Those people who, you know, the guys who were goading him, all they wanted was the reaction so they could film it, and that's yeah. why they were filming it while they were goading him, because they yeah. wanted that reaction so they can then sell it to the. Sun or whoever else. Absolutely. But, um, yeah. Anyway, moving away from idiots <laughs> who gold footballers. Uh, yeah. So, I think I sent you a message about uh, three months ago. I think it was about uh, I'd watch Sven Gali again. Yeah. Um, it's just awesome. I, I I just love it. It's one of my favourite films of the last like ten years because obviously when I grew up. Um, things like quadrophenia and stuff like that, they'd been out for a while. Um, So I was like, I was born 81. So a lot of all that cool, all the cool films, Clockwork Orange and Quadrophenia and that, they were out. And I grew up on that type of film. Yeah. And then they sort of dried up a bit. Those sort of, um, do you know what I mean? Like the cult sort of icon films with mods or with cool music 
you know, you had like the British films like Lock, Stock and stuff who still had that, that feel to them. Yeah. But there wasn't really, do you know what I mean? There wasn't, uh, I can't, I'm not explaining it very well. But when since when I saw Sven Gary the first time, I was like, yeah, this reminds me of my teens and when I was growing up and, people, you know, I had mates who were in a band and we were just having a drink and going to a little bar fly on a Friday in Cardiff yeah. and yeah. just watching bands and stuff. And it really, really brought it all back to me, all those days of... Uh, well, I can remember of them, should I say? But, but um, yeah, it was really good. But how did that get started? Because that was a um, like an internet yeah, yeah. series. That, yeah, it? it was. Yeah, it was about yeah, it was like ten, fifteen years ago now. It was. This is the early days of the internet. We um, we decided just to put some stuff up on uh, on YouTube, and it shows how long ago it was. This is before Twitter has even come out, I think. And also we. We only had you only could load up a certain amount of minutes at that time because the internet just couldn't cope with it in them days. So we used to put the little sort of four or five minute virals of this character called Dixie who's uh, arrived in London and um, he's trying to get his band signed. He's convinced he's got the next big band, uh, the next big thing. And, um, and it grew from there, really. It just got a real, got a great cult following. And then, uh, you know, it, it got to the point where some sort of uh, production people were interested and said can you expand the story and I was like well yeah I can have a go and in the end it was like can you make it into a film so we said okay and then you know it got to the point where Universal got involved which is ridiculous really isn't it? if you think of it and uh, Universal got involved and and that was it it became a it became a, a major film that went out you know in British cinemas amazing really and like I said it all started on this uh, this idea of this Welsh mod in London trying to get his band signed yeah, and I think that's one of the f- fantastic things these days about social media and YouTube and stuff like that is that people can create from their house. They don't have to um, necessarily always go down, you know, go to, go to university and do drama or art or film and stuff like that. Is yeah. You can get the software to do video, video editing in your house. You can do a podcast like I am from your house. Yeah. You can, yeah. you know, you you get people who obviously when Vine was around, and you get some really creative, talented people, who who because they didn't have uh, the qualifications or the, the 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 ability to be able to go and get a job in TV or entertainment or film or video editing, they perhaps wouldn't have had the same opportunities which they get. Just from you know, just from having YouTube, social media, things like that, it's just changed the way people can create. I suppose, and I mean, my kids they nag me constantly. They want to start a YouTube channel because they they see these young men and women just cracking on. And I suppose you were the uh, the the first one, maybe with the uh, did it before Twitter. Before Twitter, maybe one of the first. Yeah, I think we were sort of. I do get a lot of blessing of like emails from people for the last two years saying, "Oh, you know, you were one of the first things we've seen," and all the rest of it. At the time, we didn't really have much idea. What I was just trying to do was thought myself tell a really good story, and the best way to tell the story was to film little bits and put it on what was then, you know, the, the platforms you had. MySpace was still really big there. <laughs> Can you believe that? Yeah. So it's um, you know, that's where we kind of we started, and and I, but I do think it's. It's very liberating when people have the, the technology to sort of realise their artistic their artistic dreams. Really, you know, there's no two ways about it. That's very much in the spirit of punk and DIY sort of like you know art in the sense that you know you can you aren't going to rely on anybody else to sort of uh, to allow you to do these things. You can have a go yourself, like you said. You can record a podcast in your own house now. You can record you know a band and mix it in your own bedroom. You can you, know, you can do all those things. You can film stuff and edit it. You know on a phone. Uh, for you know, for cheaply. Whereas you know, twenty certainly twenty, thirty years ago, you couldn't do that. You know, film was expensive, editing suites were expensive, recording studios were expensive. You know, sort of anything like that was was money. Whereas now, you know, you, you're able to do it often on a phone, which is brilliant. You know, and uh, if that allows you know creative flowering, you know, right across you know all society, then I'm all for that, all for it. Yeah, and I think like. Like for for example, with me personally, um, 
like I had an accident in 2008, which meant that I had like spinal issues and I developed really bad anxiety. Mm. And so I've, the last couple of years, I've said, I'm going to do a podcast. I want to do a podcast on football and mental health and stuff like that. I want to do it. And I, it was always like, oh, I can't, I can't. And the anxiety side, side of it always stopped me. And then the more I thought of it, I thought, well, actually, I can do that. I can do it without having to go into big groups of people and raising that sort of anxiety side of it. And I can do it from my house. I've got the equipment to do it. And basically, I started this partly to do the mental health podcast and raise a bit of awareness about that. And if I can help one person, I'll be happy. But also, Mm -hmm. it's, it's helping me with my own sort of mental health struggles if you like where because of my injuries it meant that I was not active and I was not doing the sport and stuff that I used to do so it's given me like a like a focus to try and help me with that and I think I wonder how many people around the world who do podcasts or videos or YouTube stuff vines how much you know how many people who who are who've got these similar issues, how many people is that helping because they're able to, like you say, express themselves creatively from from their from their own house, from their own comfort. You know? They yeah. haven't got to go to like a recording studio or mix with people or big groups of people with cameras and they're not comfortable. But they mm-hmm. still get to to do it. And I think, you know, there's talent to be discovered which perhaps wouldn't, couldn't or didn't have the ability to be discovered previously, if you get what I mean. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's therapeutic, isn't it? Oh, well, absolutely. Which is great. You know, that's really important. It's the most important thing, I think, you know, they say with mental health is to sort of, you know, to sort to help yourself, really, isn't it? To sort of, you know, make yourself as well as you possibly can, you know, to, you know as, as comfortable as you possibly can. And like you said, if that's operating in an environment that you know you enjoy being in then you know that's a fantastic thing and you know and that can only be a good thing as well absolutely so that's the benefits of social media and uh yeah there is there's so many benefits i mean that's the thing and i like to think they outweigh the negatives you know there's there is plenty of negatives and like trolls and things like this and bullies you know you come across them in all walks of life, and unfortunately, uh, Twitter is a breeding ground for them. But I think if you've got the ability to just not respond and just mute it and concentrate on the positive, there's so much positive in the world that that's the way to go for me, anyway. Um, positive is the only yeah. positive is the only way to beat negativity. It's the only way. One of um, one of the first times I came across you, actually, and I watched it again uh, yesterday, was the TV video that you did, uh, the video you did for the BBC before the FA Cup final. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I remember watching it on the day, like we were travelling up, and I just remember watching it, and again, like, tears. I think you've done it to me about three or four times now, Johnny. It's, <laughs> just, just with your filmmaking, is sort of brought, like, a little tear or real pang of emotion and like that day was an emotional day anyway because it just had that feeling that i can't believe we're here i never mm-hmm. thought i'd see cardiff play a wembley in the fa cup final <coughs> and um yeah it was you know shame about the result and it was a frustrating game but mm-hmm. uh, as a day overall it was just emotion from the moment i got up to the moment i went to bed i think it, uh, it, was a fun, it was a great day. It was a great. It was a great achievement, Cardiff getting there because obviously Cardiff had been a lower league club really for most of my my life, um, and then obviously you know something happened when when Sam Hamam came and there was an impetus started and there was investment and all those things and and you know for whatever you think of Sam, you know good or bad, he did begin the sort of the revolution that happened in Cardiff, which has seen them end up as you know at least a top championship club, if not a Premier League club as they are now. Um, and, and I think the, the cup final was one of definitely the highlights of that of that uh, of 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 my yeah, that, life. Watching football, it was great, yeah, especially the yeah. fact that uh, you know in that run we went up to Borough and 
beat a really good Middlesbrough team up there, two 0 and you know it was a good side as well. You know we had a, a really good team then, and uh, I'm lucky not to win the final. Really, I'm lucky not to get a draw anyway. Um, and yeah, it, uh, was, you know, it was one of them. But uh, yeah, like I said, a, a proud moment in the in the, in the club's history, really. And funny enough, I was when I watched the video, I sort of was having a look on your wiki page, and it turns out that that video for the BBC beforehand, it got really, really good like feedback. There was a write-up in The Guardian about it. And, you know, mm. it's like a sort of five, ten-minute video, I think, you know, just about Cardiff as a club and the journey from to, to Wembley and over the years and Sam and Man and that, that type of stuff. So mm. even then, you were making uh, sort of videos and films which resonate with people. And I think... That's what I enjoy about a lot of your documentaries is, like I said, even with like Brian Claff, I've got no affinity to Forrest or to, to him. But the way the story was told, it resonated with me as a football fan. And that, I suppose that's all you want at the end of the day, isn't it? is you want to want people to feel the story. Yeah, I mean, we're all, you know, football fans, we all kind of a uh, common sort of... Uh denominator that we all love our, our teams and we love the game you know what I mean so and there's things in the game that happen and you know regardless of who you support they're great stories really you know and, and I think you know that's uh, that's what I try to do is like I remember when um, the great Johan Cruyff died uh, a few years back you know everybody kind of felt the same way you know because of the way he played and what he brought to the game playing for Ajax and Barcelona and the Dutch team you know, it's just some things almost transcend club rivalries, don't they? And and, and they become more about the game itself than anything. And uh, sometimes in those moments, you can try and capture them in a film. And, you know, even in the Cardiff one, you, you know, so many fans of other clubs sort of said to me they really, really enjoyed that because, you know, it was there was moments in there where it spoke to them as a fan of another club, you know what I mean? Um, and, and I think that's what we try to do, really. It's all, it's all, it's all just about being a football fan and, and, and loving the game for the right reasons, really. Yeah. In terms of uh, Cardiff, do you mm. think they're going to pull off a, a miracle and stay up? Or do you oh, think it's a bridge far? Well, they've done fantastic already this season. I mean, you know, they've, they're still in with the shout. Fulham went last night and spent £100 million. You know, Cardiff have been very, very sensible, I think, this time with the money. Uh, so they're in a really strong position, even if they do come down. They'll have the parachute payments and uh, they've got a good manager who knows the championship, certainly at the back of his hand. He's given the Premier League a good run. They're still in with a great shout. Very unlucky on Sunday with the, uh, the decisions against them, against Chelsea. Um, you know, and whatever happens, you know, they've been getting 30,000, over 30,000 every game. They can be really proud of what they've, they've done this season, you know, as a football club. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's been a tough season. You had the dreadful thing that happened, you know, in the transfer window of the poor lad passed away and you know so it's, it's not been an easy season for Cardiff City at all but you know what they've shown real spirit they've shown real heart and um, if they can still hang on in there who knows I mean I, my, my concern is do I think Burnley and Newcastle and Southampton are, are worse than Cardiff I don't know do I think the Huddersfield and Fulham are worse than Cardiff yes I felt that all season but do I think another club I'm not so sure so at the moment I'm just a bit nervous that uh, that might have knocked the wind out of us, really, what happened in Chelsea. But, you know, listen, you don't know with, 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 with Neil. He could get him back up again, and uh, we can see what happens. What, one thing I'm certain of is they'll, they'll scrap for as long as they need to scrap. Do you know what I mean? They won't give up. No, and I think you can see that this, this Salah thing, that it took a lot out of Warnock. You can yeah. see in his face, he's so emotional still. And I think it's been a real struggle for him personally. And I think he's done a remarkable job because they've spent little to no money. They've, mm. If you told them at the start of the season that you'd get to the 3rd of April, just before the, the you play Man City, two teams are already down and you're still within a chance of staying up, they'd have snapped your hand off every day. Yeah, because they would have. They would have. I think, I, I, though... The Chelsea game, a win against Chelsea, oh, and that's massive, isn't it? It would have been huge massive. because there were three points that you wouldn't have been targeting, and and uh, you know, he, how do you motivate players after that? Because if you if you lose a game because of bad refereeing decisions, that's tough to take. You know, that's a difficult one to get players. But if anybody can, 
he can do it. And like you said, they've spent you know hardly any money in comparison. Um, you know, they've been very sensible in that way. And you know, you've got to give a lot of credit for that because you know they could have they could have gone for it like Fulham did. Um, but you know, next year they'll have to send those payments. Even like he knows the championship. He's got a strong squad. He's got a physical squad, which is what you need in the championship. So you know, it's not all's not you know. It's, I I always think if you go up and you've got you've got you've got some money coming your way and you've got a chance then to use it to try and get back up again and that's uh, what you're going to try and do really I think if they do go down but listen still they're still in rep they're still in with a shout um, and they've yeah. just got to, got to keep battling when they beat Man City tonight 3-0 they'll be fine <laughs> yeah exactly I would throw a cat yeah, yeah that would uh, cause a few issues around uh, the place yeah. but I thought um, do you think Walnut will retire at the end of the season? I don't know. I mean, the thing is, what people, you know, not that they'll forget, but, you know, what people have got to remember is that when he went into Cardiff, they, was, they were looking like they could get relegated from the championship. He sorted that out. And then he took them up, you know, and then he's, you know, he's at the moment, he's, he's, he's in another shelter to keep in the Premier League. He's still got a lot to offer. He's, he's adored there, like no manager I can, I can ever remember, really. Uh, he's a perfect fit for Cardiff. You know, we do love a fist waver from the dugouts in Cardiff. Yeah. We don't care how it gets in the back of the net. All we care about is the ball hitting the back of the net. So he's got no worries there about how he plays and his playing style. Nobody cares in Cardiff as long as we win matches, which I love about us. So, you know, he's got all the attributes. He goes out into the valleys. He goes into the city of Cardiff. He meets the fans. So, you know, he's got a great relationship with the club. So, you know, he could stay there for, for a few more years, you know, and, and, and take him back up again maybe next year or... You know, he's got no problems. There's nobody that I can see is going to ever turn on, you know, Neil Warnock at Cardiff. So he's got a job for as long as he wants, really. So why not? Yeah, I think, you know, he's prickly as well, isn't he? Which I think Cardiff fans can relate to. Yeah. Cause, yeah. And I think they like that aspect of his personality too. I think the one thing which makes me think maybe he'll retire is he does seem to have taken like the Salah thing Personally, and I mean, it's easy to, or not easy to forget, but people perhaps outside of Cardiff who are critical is they forget, you know, Neil Warnock's a human being. There was reports in sort of just before Christmas that we wanted the boy, but there was mm-hmm. also reports that he didn't want to come. So somewhere, yeah. if that's true, somewhere in between, he's been convinced to come for whatever mm-hmm. reason. Yeah. And Warnock would have played part in that. And I think what hit me was um, the boy uh, Fabio, uh, who used to play for us, did an interview like a couple of weeks ago. And he said, like, he had spoken to Salah and he had said, you know, go to Cardiff. And he, he spoke of his guilt then because, he, yeah. you know, he'd had a hand in his decision sort of thing. Which, yeah. you know, he, you can't feel responsible for that in any way. But I, it made me think if he feels like that, you know, Neil Warnock bound to feel you know, something similar because he would have had a hand in yeah. the club to it. So, you know, he's a human being. He's, he's bound to hit him. And I do wonder then at his age, maybe he's just, he'll think, right, that's enough. I'm going to see out my family sort of thing. I yeah. hope he doesn't because I think, he, I do think he's the man for Cardiff. And I think if you, even if he doesn't keep us up, I think He's the right fit. There's no one out there at the moment, which I think, oh, I think I'd like him in that, you know, Cardiff, realistically, uh, no, in terms of a... I think you're right. I think, I think you know, he's, 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 a, he's a big family man, isn't he? I think he's got a lovely place. I think he's down in Cornwall or somewhere, isn't he? He's got a place. And, you know, it's all that thing which you go, but he's a football man as well. And he loves the game, loves the club. So, you know, who knows? He may have the summer and they may say to him, come on, Neil, let's give it another shot next year. Um, you know, and I'm talking you know, as if as if they've gone down already and, you know, that's not the case yet. So, it'll be interesting to see. I, mean, I think if he keeps us up, it may be, there probably might be even more chance in retiring because he might go, well, I've done it now. Do I want another yeah. season of that? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I don't know. Stress. But, yeah, the stress of it. But, hey, listen, you know, he's... Uh, He's he's uh, he's going to be a god there forever. He's forever going to be one of the great managers of Cardiff City. No two ways about that. Yeah, I don't want to keep you too long, Johnny. I'm conscious. Oh, of that, but... You got I know you got these questions to ask me, haven't you? 
I know, I but I think what I wanted to I wanted to speak to you really about um, was Welsh football. Let's uh, just quickly touch on that if you don't mind. Okay, it's, um, well, do you think Giggs is doing a good job? Who's Giggsy? Yes, I do. Yeah. I think he's I think he's been terrific, and I think I think it was really brave that the uh, Welsh FA went with him in the end because I know there was quite vociferous you know people saying this and that, and there was even sort of you know people saying when you know this last two weeks that he's too much going around with the Champions League trophy and he's watching Welsh players and all that. And I understand all that. But there's no two ways about it. What he's got is massive respect in the game, massive respect from younger players. You know, you've only got to hear Bale and, and, and Ramsey. I'm talking about how important gigs was to them growing up and playing football. So he's had a positive effect on, on young Welsh kids playing football in the same way as Bale and Ramsey has for a generation coming through now, like your Dan James is and all the rest of it. Um, and I just think, you know, he's given the kids a go, you know, and, and, and an international manager. They, they, just, they haven't got time to train players. All an international manager can do is organise a team and put them out to play and, you know, and try and get them playing for their country. That's all. Because you've only got four or five days. You know, you haven't got weeks and weeks on the training ground. And, and Chris Coleman did that brilliantly in the end. And we talked about that in the film. All I do, he said, is I get them, I organise them, and I tell them to go out and express themselves. And, you know, that, and it worked to Wales. And I think Giggs is very much like that as well. So... I'm a fan. We've got to stick with him. You get any kind of result out in Hungary and Croatia, and boy, we've got another great chance of uh, qualifying for another tournament. And we all know qualifying for a major tournament now is everything because it just changes the, the dynamic of, of us as a country because suddenly you're on a world stage and people can see us and they know about us. And whenever we do qualify, we always do really well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's that's we always do really well. So, you know, let's try and get there you know, as much as we can. Like what I like, what Giggs is doing is he's not um, like beating a dead horse in terms of keeping those experienced players going and going until they just cannot go anymore. Is yeah. he's bringing in these young players, these under twenty ones who've yeah. been, been excellent for the last few years, get them yeah. in and get them in in amongst the team, get them training with them, get them playing in some some cases. Yeah. If you think, if those young players, what, you know, the amount of young players in that squad now, if they could qualify this time around, those young players will have no fear over qualification for the next 10, 15 years. Exactly. You've got to get to where England are with qualification. England, great. They just expect to qualify now. They just go, right, get this out of the way, get there. And then, and so the tournament became the thing for them. They were sort of not panicking about, but where they sort of think, but they kind of like got over that a bit, didn't they, in Russia, where they, let's just enjoy it, the same as we did. But for us, it's, it's the qualification is the thing for us now. It's become a, a mental block. And so if we can get over that, then, you know, it'll be really important because, like you said, that generation of players then will just go, right, this is what we do. We qualify for every tournament now, you know? And it's such a big thing, that. There's so, there's so many exciting talents coming through that, you know, it's not like you're thinking, oh, when Bale goes, we're going to be really struggling. Obviously, he's a world-class player and we'll miss him. But there seems to be a handful of exceptionally talented Welsh footballers ready to, to come in and do a job. But what people, fans like me and you and everyone else has got to understand is young players, sometimes they can lack consistency and sometimes they'll make mistakes because they're young men really yeah. young cases you know and we it's i think it's, if we could qualify this time around i think it's huge because there's so many young players there that it just will change the whole mentality and like you say it's that block isn't it if, instead of being or oh, can we qualify well we will qualify and it seems with England as well, is the more you qualify, the easier groups you get. Yeah. Which makes it more possible. Exactly. I think that Dan James is obviously a really exciting young talent. I mean, I never thought in my lifetime already I'd be shouting to Gareth Bale, give it to him, give it to him. Yeah. <laughs> game. But he's, uh, he's obviously going to be in the Premier League next year and his club's circling him. And uh, I think he could, he's got everything to go. To the very top, he's quick, he's got low centre of gravity, he's strong, beat a man, finish. So, we got a real chance for that kid. So, I like you say, it's, it's very, very exciting. Yeah, and I think um, Giggs deserves credit as well for the 
um, the game against Trinidad, he could have just played a full strength side. But he was thinking, no, Slovakia in a couple of days, that's what's important. So I need Bale and Ramsey and whoever else. Well, Ramsey didn't play, but like, I need these players fully fit. So I'm yeah. going to rest them. And that's what he should be doing. Yeah. But he can't win because if he doesn't play them, he gets criticised for not playing them. And if they play and get injured, he gets criticised for that. So, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Should it is. Right. Yeah. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to, we're going to go now, and then Johnny's going to film a quick video for me, quick fire questions before yeah. I let him go. I've kept him a bit too long now. Uh, Johnny, where can people find you on social media? I'm on Twitter uh, at, at Johnny Owen Film, J O N Y O W E N Film, F I L M, all one word. Uh, and that's where I live, really, on uh, on that Twitter account. Cool. You can find me at AceCast underscore Nation. Uh, thanks for watching and subscribe, like, and share. Thank you. Cheers. Nice one. Sports Social Podcast Network.